Good day, Dragon Slayers. Uh, I, Todd and I are looking forward to this presentation today. If you hear some noise in the background, it's because the Beach Hut Deli is undergoing construction right now. <laughs> I hope it isn't too distracting. Hopefully the Beach Hut Deli is just selling so many sandwiches, right? Yes. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to make some comments about what's happening on university campuses. Uh, those of you who've been following the news are aware that uh, President Claudine Gay of Harvard University had a few embarrassing moments uh, testifying before Congress, as did the presidents of University of Pennsylvania and MIT in their refusal to condemn calls for the genocide of Jewish people on their campuses. Now, that was argued as a form of free speech, but it is rather curious that uh, no one is censured for this on the campus. However, uh, at least at Harvard, if you refer to someone with the wrong pronoun, you could possibly be expelled. So there was a level of disconnect there, and we haven't begun to see the total unraveling of this. But this really marks uh, what I would consider the nadir of uh, the esteem with which uh, American universities are being held right now. Uh, I think things went south for universities when they begin, began to be captured by the demands for equity and safe speech. And as a consequence, of free expression, genuine free expression, real diversity in terms of diverse opinions were suppressed. Coincident to that, uh, the academic performance in these institutions began to suffer as they have in our larger public school systems, as we've become increasingly captured by demands for various kinds of equity in outcomes rather than intellectual exploration. Uh, now, where that targets Jews is not anything that's been terribly unique. In fact, anti-Semitism in American universities has been going back for at least 100 years. Uh, what is not well known is that uh, there were quotas on the admission of Jewish uh, students to the major universities, major Ivy League schools, certainly for generations after generations, because it was perceived by the then Protestant elite that uh, Jewish students were displacing uh, Protestant kids. And as a consequence, quotas were imposed on these institutions. Only recently have those been relatively relaxed, although uh, there is a major movement now, and perhaps legitimately as part of affirmative action, to seek out students who have not been the offspring of parents who themselves have been at universities, which probably is a positive force if we can balance that against a meritocracy. Uh, the other point I was going to make is I'm sure you have all sorts of comments about what's going on in Israel right now, but I wanted to point out something that people don't quite appreciate, and that is that I did a survey right before uh, we came on today to look at the list of Jewish Nobel laureates, not as a source of pride, but just looking at the social dilemma 
if we were to eliminate uh, or uh, discriminate against Jews. Of the Nobel laureates awarded between 1901 and 2023, at least 214 have been Jews or people with at least one Jewish parent. They represented 22% of all recipients of the Nobel Prize. On the other hand, Jews comprise only 0.2% of the world population, meaning that their share of winners is 110 times the proportion of the world population. Uh, without Jewish Nobel laureates, we would not have vaccines against polio. We would not understand the mechanism of ribonucleic acid. We wouldn't understand uh, mRNA. There's a lot of things in contemporary medicine that we would be without. So that's food for thought. Having given the plug for fairness in education, let's now launch to our discussion at about great music. Right. <clears throat> so I was working backwards, and you know, as I look at a history of the classic rock group, the Beatles, I would call the history occurring in two phases. First phase is what I might want to call the bubblegum phase. Pop music. Yeah. I want to hold your hand. Right. You're going to lose that girl. <laughs> right. And it was only after either, and Todd and I have discussed this privately, after the Beatles had established themselves as a critical, credible establishment group, in fact, they could call their own music culture, that we see the evolution of such classics as Eleanor Rigby, Strawberry Fields, Sgt. Pepper, A Day in the Life, Yesterday, and so on. Right. And when we look at classics, I, my contention is that the Beatles and others, including Pete Townsend uh, and the rock opera Tommy and others, were measuring themselves not against contemporary music, but against what we would call standard classics. And just to give you a taste of this, uh, I've asked Todd to pull up a band of a duet from Bizet's Pearl Fishers. Uh, this duet dates back before you were born. Right, which is a lot of this music. Uh, and it was performed on this recording by UC Berlin and Robert Merrill. Hit it. All right. The doc's making me feel like I need to go to an opera. So I don't personally hear the Beatles in that one. No, but it is standard. Right. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and I encourage those of you out there to actually pull up a track of this because it is absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's stunning. I We listened to about five minutes before the show and wow. 
Uh, That's what I said. That made me want to go to see an opera. Good. Next, uh, in the at the turn of the century, American jazz music was heavily influenced uh, by a young Afri- African American man, largely self-taught, who was a principal in the ragtime movement, and Scott Joplin. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of the Maple Leaf Rag, probably informed some of the rhythms of later jazz and perhaps even the Beatles. Let's hit it. I also think that the whimsy of the Beatles sounds a little bit like this, you know, some of the more whimsical stuff. Yeah, this is cool. I like this one. And I told you this stuff reminds me of cartoons from when I was a kid. As you listen to this, this is not sitting music. This is definitely dancing music. Right. As a dancer yourself, right? Yep. Okay. So that's, get, that's dancing music. That's dancing music. In 1898 and later in 1899, two of the Olympic figures in American music were born. Duke Ellington was born in 98. Correction. Uh, George Gershwin was born in 98. Duke Ellington in 99. Uh, George Gershwin, unfortunately, lived only until approximately age 38 when he died of a malignant brain tumor, a very short life, but a very productive life. Uh, Duke Ellington lived a long time. Uh, On his deathbed, he remarked that he would always be known for his music and loved it. Uh, He died at age 75 from lung cancer. I'd like to play first Mood Indigo as kind of a bit of evidence of the genius of the Ellington compositions. All right. And I want to add that I really do hear the Beatles in the Scott Joplin song. Good. A lot. You know, the, the, the style was adopted from something. Or like you said, they were, that's, they were definitely listening to this stuff for sure. 100%. All right. We're going to hit the Mood Indigo. Hit it. That's Duke at the piano. Who's on sax? I don't know. We should look that up. It's with his orchestra. Right, okay. I just wonder if it's Bird or something. 
Oh no, no, I don't think so. This is way before Bird. Although he may have played this, right? Oh right. This is more of the standard era before Bird and those guys, right? Mm. Okay. But I mean, it survived through. But, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout out to Duke Ellington. That was beautiful. Okay. So he uh, wrote it and then played piano on it, also. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he. If you look at Ellington's work, it's expansive everywhere. Uh, and there are others that were illustrative at that time, but I think he was probably uh, the the chief classical jazz musician emerging from the African-American tradition and uh, still honored today. And in fact, if you go into New Orleans, that's almost a staple. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to actually jump ahead and, and get back to Gershwin. I wanted to play a little bit of another composer that heavily influenced American music, and that's Aaron Copland. And then we're going to get back and talk a little bit about George Gershwin and his profound influence. Rhapsody spelled R-H. <laughs> so let's hit uh, fanfare. Should we back it up? No. This is fanfare for the common man. All right. Now, if you listen to that, it is a wonderful harmonic dynamic between the kettle drums, the trumpet, and later French horns. Right. And these are the common, the kinds of harmonies that I think later informed classic rock. If you listen to, for example, the Beatles, Pete, Pete Townsend, even uh, Bohemian Rhapsody you catch these kinds of harmonies. Right, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and then before we get back to Rhapsody, there's one other th song I'd like to talk about. Uh, around 1938, uh, MGM produced a movie, The Wizard of Oz. It was starring a 16-year-old Judy Garland. And... Uh, and if you've watched that film, understand that uh, Judy, at some point in the film, as Dorothy, sings a beautiful ballad, uh, Over the Rainbow. Over the Rainbow is originally was written by Kit Yarberg and uh, Harold Arlen. Harold Arlen later collaborated with people like Johnny Mercer and others. Uh, and what is not known is that 
when the film was produced, it ran a fairly long time. It's fairly expensive. Those of you who have seen the film notice that it's morphed between black and white and color. Very, very, um, those were special effects. Yes. Literally. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, it really is kind of metaphorical for for our trust in the intelligentsia, because if you recall, the wizard turns out to be this rather humble old man behind the screen. Right. But uh, they were going to cut Over the Rainbow out of the soundtrack, but the director insisted that it remain in or he would not be the director of the movie. I can't even imagine that movie without Over the Rainbow. So Over the Rainbow has been covered by all sorts of people. Uh, Willie. Willie. Uh, Eva Cassidy, uh, virtually anybody. In fact, uh, Dave Brubeck did a piano cover of this. Which I'm going to listen to as soon as we're done. <laughs> no, it's going to be, it is And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to send it to my dad and be like, dad, check it out. Well, you ought to check it out. We may even play it if we have time. But uh, apparently there was a survey of, uh, of American composers and others as what was the most important transformative song of the 20th century and over the rainbow topped the list. So let's listen to Judy sing it. Hit it. All right. That's crazy. She was 16. Yeah. What a badass. Yeah. A pretty impressive young lady. Uh, Let's go back to Rhapsody now. And the story on this was uh, George Gershwin, uh, as a younger composer, had just composed a hit, uh, Swanee, that Al Jolson sang. And based on the royalties from Swanee, Gershwin was able to have time enough to compose this, what was going to be originally the American Rhapsody, later Rhapsody in Blue. What is not known about this is that the actual piano piece in Rhapsody in Blue was ad-libbed by Gershwin in the original performance. He had just made a few cursory notes. And what you hear in the original soundtrack was Gershwin ad-libbing as in jazz to Paul uh, Whitman, conducting the orchestra. So let's hit Rhapsody in Blue and listen how it begins with this incredible clarinet solo.
I think it's interesting that I associate every single one of these songs with some sort of cartoon movie or commercial when I was a kid. Well, it's been captured. Right. I mean, they were, like you said, they're all hits. They're classics. But nowadays, I think it's also interesting that all of the jingles and stuff and songs are from 90s hip hop. And you don't probably notice that, but it speaks directly to me, the average consumer, right? I just hear those beats and I'm like, oh, wow. So when, what did you say that the Rhapsody in Blue was from an airline commercial? I think American. American Airlines or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what a, just an absolute masterpiece. So finally, I I didn't tee Todd up with the suggestion, but the last great American classic of that generation was written by Hoagie Carmichael, Stardust. And Willie does sing Stardust. Oh, nice. Are Are we pulling that one up? Yeah, if you can. Okay. Stardust. Sometimes I wonder why I've spent the lonely nights dreaming of a song and the melody haunts my recurring and I am once again with you. When our love was new. That was performed live at the Hollywood Bowl, Los Angeles, California, April 30th, 2023. Recent. He still got it. Okay. So uh, if there's any uh, affection for Willie out there, let us know. We may actually do a special feature on Willie, which is probably the most powerful crossover artists we have living right now right what a wonderful dude yeah really yeah and i told you that i'm not a we talked about it last week i'm not a country western music fan but i am a willie nelson fan well as i said which i think is pretty pretty significant he draws you into that yes he does he was part of the highwayman right in fact virtually the only highwayman that could carry a tune other than merle (laughs) right i'd like to partake with willie nelson that would be pretty fun okay uh all right, let's launch into now uh, what I think I'd like to talk a little bit about A Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night was a film that was released right after the Beatles' first trip to the U.S. Uh, that trip to the U.S. Uh, included several things. One is uh, the Beatles were met at the airport. Someone asked George Harrison about when would he would get his haircut, and it was originally attributed to Lennon. It wasn't, and Harrison responded yesterday. <laughs> uh, the Beatles had their own sense of humor and were not terribly uh, ego invested in all the accolades they were receiving. They they took it with a grain of salt. They were later, of course, premiered actually a couple times in the Ed Sullivan Show. And pretty much made it after that. Right. 
they went back to London and uh, wherever they went, they were pursued by screaming thongs of usually women chasing them, but others. And when they filmed The Hard Day's Light, Night, they had recruited a number of performing arts students to be part of the extras. And among, among the extras that was, chasing, that was chasing the Beatles down during the scene was a very young Phil Collins. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mr. In the Air Tonight himself. An incredible artist, which we'll have to... Yeah, I'm a gigantic Genesis fan. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's play a track from A Hard Day's Light Night, and we're going to contrast that with later tracks. All right, you're typing. Check this against the Everly Brothers. One thing about those guys is that everything that they did was so cleverly repetitive. Earworm. Mm-hmm. very, very, they're experts at that. Well, I, you know, my contention is that these guys were heavily influenced by contemporary Amer- American music right. at the time. And if you listen to the Everly Brothers, whether it be Dream or Wake Up Little Susie, you catch the same kind of rhythms and harmonies. And another thing I always thought was interesting um, is they don't really have British accents when they sing because they want to emulate American rock and roll, right? So you don't hear you don't hear thick British accents like when they talk when they sing. I always thought that was so interesting about the Beatles. One, two, three, five. Well, she was just seventeen, but you know what I mean. And the way she looked was way beyond compare. So how could I dance with another? Okay, now what I love about the song is that you can see the seeds of Sgt. Pepper in it. Right, yeah, absolutely. It's so crazy to think that my dad was 17 listening to that probably over and over. That's great. Okay, I love this one. This is by far one of the best. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And Pulp Fiction, I believe. Or no, that's the twist. Okay, zero accent. So credit to Chubby Checker. Right, absolutely. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. Remember, I'll always be 
send all my loving to you. I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I'm missing and hope that... So, uh, we could almost do a Beatle episode. Many years ago, before you were born, <clears throat> a um, very astute American observer wrote, Marshall McLuhan wrote, the medium is a message. And McLuhan anticipated what is very real now. He said that in convalescent care centers of this generation, you're right. going to hear Beatles music. Oh, for sure. And if somehow we could bring the Beatles back or Beatles cover band, there would be folks my age singing the song with the Beatles in the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. So what it's, what's going to be in the old folks' home when I'm there? A bunch of rap music. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> okay. Um, well, what I wanted to demonstrate to our audience is that this was phase one of an evolution of the Beatles. Uh, they were then being joined later on by the second part of the British wave, which was Mick Jagger and the Stones. Right. Mick uh, was actually uh, a student at the London School of Economics uh, when he decided, I can imagine when he went home to tell his folks this, that I think I'd like to drop out and not become an economist. I'd rather play with my garage band. Right. And uh, they probably weren't too happy about that, <laughs> but it worked out. Absolutely. It worked out great. So let's do a little uh, Rolling Stones. All right. That's you. Okay. Hit it. Back to the Vietnam movies. Hear it in just the left side. I think he was writing a hit there. Yeah. He knew it. Well, yeah. But I, the other part of that, if you pick up, at least what I'm picking up here is both Mick and likely George Harrison were influenced by Ravi Shankar. So you almost hear that sitar-like yeah, sound. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's not it's not Ravi Shankar? That's not how you say it? No, it's Ravi Shankar. Ravi Shankar. And Ravi Shankar was the father of which American song stylist? Oh, man, I know this one, but you, you're not going to be able to. I'm not, I don't know. You're, I'm going to. You, I know. You just failed the first question. Uh, okay. Nora Jones. Nora Jones. We love Nora. Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, I wonder if any of you can associate this with the Beatles. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Stones. But were they just listening to the to the Stones in Vietnam? Basically. Yeah. 
then finally, uh, there's much, much more uh, with the Stones, but I'd like to play this as illustrative of a time. Uh, the Stones played a concert at Altamont Freeway in California, and uh, there were a lot of very passionate Stones fans there, and apparently it got so out of control that it, there was a knifing. But this was one of the songs that inspired those fans. There will never be another Mick Jagger. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's sort of faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment. Doubt and pain Me damn sure the pilot Washed his hands And sealed his face Pleased to meet you Hope you guess my name You would never guess that name, Mick Jagger (laughs) Yeah, there will never be another Mick, but there doesn't need to be because right. Mick at age 82 is going to live forever. <laughs> right. They said, uh, I saw a meme that said, um, you know, make sure you don't, uh, you treat the planet with respect because we have to think about what we're going to leave for Keith Richards. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, those guys found the fountain. <laughs> they found the fountain of youth and they didn't even tell anyone about it. Okay, let's uh, go back and... I wanted to tempt folks with uh, another group that was inspired by the Beatles, I believe. And uh, let's play a little Genesis. Okay. I'm going to let you pick your Genesis, the Genesis song you like, because I like everyone. This is, this is right. This is my, my eighties music right here. This is what really, I really remember this stuff. This, this is uh, Phil Collins covering a uh, Supreme song. Wow, this is cool. That was a radio hit. Yeah. The cover. Right. Right. Like probably bigger than the original song. Could have been. Yeah. Uh, Because that's, that's the version that I remember. And this is classic Phil Collins. Oh yeah. This is takes 20 minutes to get going though, but this to me was him bridging the gap between Genesis and his solo career. This song. Oh, Lord. And I've been waiting 
Isn't there a crazy folk lore story about this song? I, you may know it. I don't. Because he says, "I saw you drowning, and I and you did not lend a hand." That right in that song, I think there's an actual story where, I mean, there's it's biographical. Oh, autobiographical is that how you say it? I think there's something crazy happened, and he wrote that song about it. I thought you were gonna have the trivia ready to go with that one. Uh, you got me. All right, next week we'll talk about it. Uh, what I wanted to close this with is that. This is these are the songs of my generation, right? So you would consider Phil more contemporary in the in your yeah. span, right? Yeah, he would have been. So we listen to the music that inspired the Beatles, and then we listen to a artist that you probably think was inspired by the Beatles. Yeah, but right. I think the other part of it is not far away from that. I mean, if we were to bring Seth on again, I think Seth really likes Phil Collins, right? So you know, it's not much behind you in terms of a generation do you remember a rock band called rush of course so those guys were scientists basically <laughs> of their instruments and of music but maybe we can listen to a little rush next week be delighted to uh why would a psychiatrist be interested in this well i think the, the reason for me is that i find personally music transformative right and i think there's something about music that impacts our mood, our rhythms, our ability to feel alive. Right. What did you call it last week? A conduit to spirituality. Yeah. Pretty cool to think about that because do you guys have in the medical community a reason why we get goosebumps when we hear something really, really moving? I would explain it, but it would demystify it. So I don't want to demystify it for you. All right. Well, music gives me goosebumps a lot. Of course. Right. And you're a person of soul. Right. I mean, if you look at, we, you know, there's various different tracks we could take, but if you look at gospel music right, and how moving that is, uh, and then you extend it to things we touched on last time, some of the elements of Motown or some of the elements of the solitude of being apart and alone. Right. All of that captures us. And the paradox, of course, is as we are alone, but as we hear these songs, we're saying, wait a minute, these guys or this girl or these people have been here before. Right. Which is why when, you know, freshly heartbroken music is great and terrible at the same time. Right. Because it can, it can, uh, stir up some yucky emotions but at the same time like you said you can identify with the people who made the art so in closing i have observed that the joy of being around multi-talented people people who are creative in their lives and begin to do something rather than just simply work right and so that that element, that playfulness, that creativity is what fuels them. Uh, and it's I, certainly what gets me out of bed every day. Yeah, really. The you things know. you look forward to. Absolutely. If, if your work is played, you won. Right. Right. Okay. We said it before, but do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I love it. Yeah. So until next week, I wish you all well. We're going to be actually heading into close to the Christmas season. Right. In fact, I hope all of you have um, done 
all the necessary shopping now, but uh, I did all of my Christmas shopping yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I had cool. to get one of those Stanley cups. Those things are hard to find. <laughs> the sippy cup things. Oh. oh man, chicks love those things. And then I got Scott a chair, which sounds very boring, but the chair is very cool. Well, like, like so happy I, holidays, everyone. We love you. Okay. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, as they say. Be well. Be well. Peace. Peace. Oh, we're going to get to rap music at some point, too. That'll be great.